I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary, and uh, normally I would have Rebecca with me, but she is on sabbatical for a little while, so y'all are going to have the pleasure of lots of different interviews with lots of different people, uh, lots of different perspectives. So today I have Lori Stewart with me. Hey, Hillary. Hello. So Lori is one of my good, good friends. She is president of Women in Apologetics, and I'm vice president of Women in Apologetics, so we actually do a lot of work together. Uh, We were just on the radio the other night together. We were at midnight. I know, at midnight. So (laughs) I was like glad that I was visiting you right at that exact time. And I didn't want you having to drive all that way by yourself. No, you're a good car company. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to talk about something that, uh, well, actually, first, before we talk about it, I just want to give a few updates. So as you might have noticed, we have not done a podcast in quite some time. And the reason for that is, drumroll please, we have a book coming out. Uh, Not Lori and me, but Mama Bear Apologetics. So uh, we just got word from the editor that the title might be in flux. But just know that there is a Mama Bear Apologetics book that's going to be coming out this next summer. And we're super excited about it. So that's kind of where our time went this this last summer. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about a topic that, golly, it's probably one of the hottest topics right now. Yeah, it's a very emotional topic. It's a very emotional topic, (laughs) which always kind of makes me a little bit nervous to do it. But we are going to be talking about the Me Too movement and basically how Christians should be responding uh, responding to this. And so... I want to first start out, this is something that uh, I guess is kind of a world premiere in the sense that, Lori, uh, you have a Me Too story. I do. And you have never shared it with anybody, have you? Well, I have, but I mean, not publicly like this. And Mm -hmm. um, I I won't talk about the details, but as I watch the rise of the Me Too movement happening, not just in the U.S., but around the world, I was just in South Africa and they had Women's Day and Me Too stories were very mm. prominent in the media revolving Mother uh, Women's Day. And so I see how this movement is gaining traction around the world. And there's some really good things about it. I don't want to downplay the significance of kind of the underlining, mm-hmm. underlying meaning of the Me Too mo- movement. But in a way, I'm I'm afraid that it's a, a train that's speeding out of control. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's well, I think there's a lot of movements that started out really, really good, and then once they got momentum, then they kind of went past what the original goal was. And I, I don't think we're necessarily there yet. I think there's still a lot of house cleaning that needs to be done in a variety of sectors of life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are portions of this that rightfully concern us. And I think especially for moms of boys, I can understand being rightfully concerned. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're just living in a culture where I think we're, our, we're heightening our sensitivities about some of the injustice that we see happening and mm-hmm. has been happening maybe for a long time, whether it's discrimination, harassment, assaults, rape, mm-hmm. um, 
any kind of oppression. Yeah. I mean, it's been in existence from the very beginning. Yeah, but there's stories in the Bible about this. This is not a new phenomenon. St- there's nothing new under the sun. We know that. Yeah. But we haven't lived forever. Yeah. So these are new issues for us that we're facing mm-hmm. today. And I'm, I'm glad to be here to talk about it because I, I think we need to have a civil honest and compassionate and well thought and well reasoned conversation about this yeah so there's a there's a couple reasons why I think you're the ideal person to talk about this number one is you can speak from I I hate calling a victim because I know you don't like being called a victim you're an overcomer but you have uh what's another word that you would say for someone who has uh been raped um yeah I mean anyone who has been raped is a was victimized victimized. but but I I like to think of myself more as a survivor than there we go as a victim but there we go I think if you have suffered through any kind of an assault situation, then you were victimized at some time. I guess where I'm where I'm trying to speak into this issue right now for, I mean, it's mostly women, but let's be mm-hmm. honest, there are some men out there as well. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is look at some of the pre-sex scandals and you can yeah, identify. That's what my l- mind immediately went to is yeah. a lot of the stuff in Priest. And I watched a documentary a couple months ago about just the uh, rampant pedophilia in Hollywood and predominantly boys that, that are being targeted. So so anyway, you're a good candidate just because, A, you have the... the you have the experience of you have your own Me Too move, uh, your own Me Too story, mm-hmm. but also you're a lawyer, so mm-hmm. you have the ability to say, "What? How can we look at this from a judicial standpoint mm-hmm. and uh, from the from the point of view of a lawyer?" Mm-hmm. Um, and also, one of the things that I love talking to you about when we first got to know each other is you used to be a pretty radical feminist, right? Yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah. Tell me about tell me about your transformation there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a God story. That, that's for sure. Uh, I will. I'll give you my testimony because I think that put, helps to put it in context. Yeah. I'll I'll do it quickly. But I grew up in a Christian home in the Midwest, and uh, at some point, I just started questioning things in the church and asking questions. And you know, God bless the people around me who I was asking the questions. Not my parents, by the way, but I went to um, the pastor's wife to ask mm-hmm. some questions. And she did her best, but she really left me thinking, okay, there really aren't any answers. And so my teenage years were very turbulent years. Yeah. And then my college years were, were probably even more more tr- turbulent, if you will. And as I started to be, gain com- more and more compassion for people, mm-hmm. I started to think that really big government was the answer and more socialist ideas mm-hmm. didn't quite go as far as... Um, embracing communist ideas, but let's be honest, that's kind of where the train leads you. Yeah, um, it's never meant to stop at socialism. The the it's always meant to go all the way to communism. Yeah, which we I, actually talk about in the book because I didn't realize just how hugely this is infiltrating our culture right now. But there is a Marxism chapter in the Mama Bear book. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's really good. We I think we need to be a little bit more aware of how the Marxist ideas are actually so subtle in many of societal ills yeah. and problems that we're addressing today. <laughs> and But really, l- let me take it even deeper than that. I think mm-hmm. fundamentally what is at the core of most of these issues and the problems that we're seeing in society are identity issues. Yeah. We don't know 
what or who our identity is. And so we look, we're looking for other places to try and other people and things and ideas to try to figure out what our identity is. Mm -hmm. And that touches kind of on the Me Too movement, people finding their identity in the victimhood and uniting in this victimhood and some of the intersectional um, victimhoods the different movements, how they're coming mm-hmm. together, which we'll we'll talk about I think yeah. probably later. Let me just define what in, inter- she means by intersectional. So the idea of intersectional is that basically we have all these different oppressed groups, and so we'll say if we were going to go from the standpoint of race, you could say okay, the whites are the oppressors of the uh, minorities. Well, what about then? You have men are the oppressors of the women. So now you have an intersexual oppression going on in the sense that a black woman will experience a different kind of oppression than a white woman they they're both a, a member of an a quote-unquote oppressed class but it's almost like a hierarchy of oppression that's what the intersectionality movement is about but but back to your your story mm-hmm. so you were going down the path of r- radical feminism and i know mm-hmm. marxism and feminism have a lot of ties together yeah um, well i think it was grounded initially in some good ideas and that is mm-hmm. you know i i believe women should have the right to education and women should have the right to fulfill their dreams and pursue their calling just like a man does. I don't think still there's anything wrong with that. But then I started to realize the feminist agenda is not really about women's rights. Mm. And so I like to talk about them separately Yeah, because I don't think modern day feminist, and I'm going to talk about the modern day feminist yeah. culture because mm-hmm. there have been several movements in feminism, yeah. the, the feminist movements, different waves. But let's just talk about what's happening right now with, yeah. with the current feminist movement. Some people call it third wave, fourth wave. And I've heard third diff- and fifth and I've, no one's ever explained to me where a fourth went. So yeah, I It's kind of nebulous. <laughs> I don't think We're not totally sure. I think as John said once, we don't know if we're in a wave or if in, we're still in one of the ripples of the third wave. That's so. a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. But still the way that um, people who would probably are the most vocal in describing themselves as a feminist, I would say in the secular culture, are standing for radical progressive social ideas. And they're not necessarily benefiting women. No. (laughs) You know, take the Women's March, for example. I'm getting a little bit off track from my story, but, you know, we're just touching on this. Um, The Women's March, I I had serious issues with because it was not about women's rights. No. If you looked at the website and saw, you know, any of the issues that they were taking a stand and marching for, uh, sex worker rights? That one I'm really sorry. got me. <laughs> you to- totally lost me on that. If they had said we're marching to get rid of the sex industry, yeah, that's pro-woman. But to uh, try to empower women who are choosing to put themselves in the sex industry, it's like I don't think I've ever met an empower- a truly empowered sex worker. Uh, it's, it's, it's more like a bizarre type of chosen bondage. And even just bringing the word bondage in, it gives a whole other connotation. But Oh, yeah. Don't get me started on how that's just another way of exploiting women and just objectifying women. Yeah. So I, and I think it's a lie that women are buying, thinking, hey, I have right, right to control my body and to use it as a commodity. And so that, that is the most liberating thing. I think it's just a, it's a lie yeah. from, from the enemy. But anyway, back to my story. So... Um, I went to college and really became very 
liberal. <laughs> I really went off the deep end, I think, in, in college. I remember at the very beginning of college, college, sitting in a political science class, and I would argue with my liberal professors. By the time I graduated, I'm doing pro-choice marches. Oh, I'm wow. campaigning for Bill Clinton to raise money for his special special legal defense fund. And um, yeah, I had a really radical change. Part of it might have had to do with I was a theater major and in a sorority so just you know take all that together it was just probably a recipe for disaster for me but later it wasn't actually until just before I uh, went to law school Mm -hmm. I rediscovered my Christian roots Mm -hmm. I went through a really rough time Mm -hmm. I actually went through a divorce became a single mom and thought, I've just made a mess of my life. What has happened? How did I get here? So I started looking for answers, and I started with secularism and Buddhism and secular counseling and self-help books and (laughs) partying. And I mean, I just tried it all, really looking for all the answers in all the wrong places. And finally, um, a whole other set of circumstances, just more God moments, which I won't go into right now, I ended up back in church. Mm. I'm like, okay, God, if you have something to say, I'm I'm ready to hear it. I'm listening finally. Yeah, and and yeah, he met me there. Mm. And I'm like, I'm going to find the answers here, so I need to keep coming back. So I started reading the Bible, but I couldn't really make sense of it. Mm. So I thought, gosh, I should join a Bible study. So I finally joined a Bible study, and it was becoming a woman of prayer that was the only one that fit into my schedule. And I just <laughs> cried through every meeting with these ladies and eventually surrendered my life to follow Christ because mm. I just felt like I no longer trust my own instincts in the way I view things. Mm. And I now want to see everything through the lens and the truth of scripture. I think you had mentioned before about you had written something about that we need a compass to, to anchor us. Yeah. I love that imagery. Do you want to just share that? Because that's... So yeah, that's right. uh, part of the, in the emotional emotionalism chapter. So in order for a compass to work correctly, to point you to north, uh, you, you have to magnetize it first. And so if you have a compass that hasn't been magnetized, it's going to point in some direction, but you have no idea which direction that is. And that's kind of like our hearts. Everybody says, oh, follow your heart. And I'm like, that is the that's basically in the, my top 10 list of worst advice in the world and so John and I always joke about that when he's like which way do I go and I'm like follow your heart um so I think disciplining our emotions with Christian truth is the way that we magnetize kind of the the compass of our hearts that we can listen to our emotions if our emotions are properly disciplined already if our emotions are not properly disciplined they'll who knows where they'll take you yes uh and so yeah so that's what we have right now is we have an entire society that has have not disciplined their emotions and they're all saying let's follow our hearts and then they all walk in completely different directions thinking well why aren't you going this way yes this is obviously the way that that's right yes and it's kind of you know everybody does what's right in his own eyes was it at the days of noah or i can't remember it was the days of somebody but that's what we're seeing right now yeah so i started to realize that i needed to run everything through the lens of scripture and mm-hmm. i was adapting a biblical worldview i didn't know that that's what it was called at the time mm-hmm. later i heard about worldview studies and i'm <laughs> like oh that that's what i did so you're kind of piecing it together almost like from scratch again yeah exactly and so I, one by one, I would just, as issues would come up, I would start to reexamine them in light of scripture. And in terms of my political views, mm-hmm. my views on big government versus limited government, um, my views on the rule of law, my, my views on family, my views mm-hmm. on divorce, my yeah. views on abortion. Abortion was probably the hardest one for me to change my mm. mind. 
Um, and we can do that on another podcast if you want. Yeah. It's, it's another long story. That's, that's worth exploring at some point. Yeah, it, it's really amazing. But I think the key, if there's one big takeaway anybody can take from this podcast, it's don't stop seeking truth. Because mm. if you seek it and you're willing to change your life to conform to that truth, you know, if you're willing to seek out the magnetized compass that's <laughs> yeah. already rooted in the truth yeah. and follow it where it goes, you won't be disappointed. I mean, God mm. says, if you seek me, you'll find me. Yeah. So I think if you seek truth, you will find it. Yeah. But then once you find it, you have to be willing to go where it takes you. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable because that means letting go of your past. Yeah. But it's good because it's freeing. It's like, it's bad because you have to let go of your past, but it's freeing because you get to get let, let go of your past. Yeah. I just, I love the verse that talks about forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead. I press forward to win the, you know, win the prize for which Lord Jesus has called me heavenward. Just this, I, whenever I have that moment where I've just completely screwed something up and there's the the logical part of my brain that's like, I have to beat myself up over this because if I don't beat myself up enough, then I'll do it again. But then there's that other part of my brain that's like, no, I think I've, I've, I've heard from the Lord. I've repented on this. I don't need to beat myself up in order for the lesson to stick. And I just need to give myself grace and let go of the past and press on. I can't change whatever's happened and just keep pressing on towards what's in front of me. And I think that that's healthy for us to examine the mistakes that we've made in the past. Yeah. And that's certainly what I have done. Mm-hmm. And But we shouldn't wallow in that. Definitely not. That, but you want to learn the lessons yeah. and not forget them and then move on. Yeah. And I have created little mementos for myself in my life. So mm. I remember those moments, those, those te- I'll call them hard teaching moments <laughs> where you learn a hard lesson, but you don't want to forget it because you don't want to make those mistakes again. Yeah. And... In part of that, you know, my journey, I, I did, I, you, I've mentioned that I've had a couple of, you know, my own Me Too moments. One was in high school and one was in college. And mm-hmm. they were rape. I mean, it was non-consensual sex. Um, and I didn't talk to anybody about it for a really long time. I just kind of denied that it happened. And yeah, I understand the shame and the guilt and nothing's going to come of it, blah, blah, blah. I understand how it can really undermine your other relationships after that as well. So there are a lot of consequences and fallout from that. But because Christ has turned my life around and I'm able to see everything now through a different lens, I can see that through that experience that had helped to create a brokenness that I needed to achieve so that I could say I'm I'm nothing without Christ yeah. and I want God as my ultimate savior. And once I realize how much I've been forgiven, I have to forgive others. Yeah. There's some radical teachings in the Bible about <laughs> forgiveness and about loving your enemies. Yeah. And I think we need to talk a little bit more about some of those situations because when I hear stories, and boy, the media is filled with lots of stories. Oh, they of, like those stories, yes. Of, you know, assaults or accusations of assault and um, rape and things like that. Really sad situations. Mm-hmm. As we reach out in compassion for those that have been victimized. Mm-hmm. I don't like to call them victims, you know. but I like survivors. Uh, reach yeah. out to the survivors. Yeah, we are survivors. But I think we need to learn how to have some compassion even for the wrongdoers. I know it sounds so strange and so awful and I'm I'm not I'm not offering a pass yeah. on the bad things that have happened. That's not what I'm suggesting at mm-hmm. all. But do we really want to just go around 
putting everybody in jail or do we want people to change and hearts to change? That's what I want to see is really, I want to see people change. Yeah. And that's a really hard, that's such a hard um, line to walk at what point, and and you and I were talking about this, about other things earlier today, about what's the difference between uh, forgiveness and enabling. And basically that everybody wants it to come in this neat little box with a bow on it of this is the black and white, uh, you know, rules right here and this is how to do it. But it really is on a case by case basis. It is. Uh, and that we don't like because on what. So what we want to do today is I want to recognize that we are going to have listeners out there hmm. who either have their own Me Too stories or they are aligning themselves very much with basically anything that says Me Too. Uh, and we've almost got this mob rule where it's guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And that's one extreme. But then on the other extreme, I've heard um, people just kind of almost immediately disregard some of the stories that they hear. And they're like, oh, that's just another woman looking for, for her five minutes of fame. And I, that's really disrespectful, too. And it bothers me, especially when I hear men men doing that, because... Mm-hmm. They, I mean, it's the same thing that's been throughout history. Oh, it's, it's just another hysterical mm-hmm, woman. Mm-hmm. And so I want to recognize that we have both of those out there. And I don't want us to necessarily take one side and say this is the best way to do it. And instead, I want us to be able to analyze both of these approaches. What are the what is the good that is coming from the Me Too movement? And then what are the lies that are coming mm-hmm. from the Me Too movement? Mm-hmm. In fact, the Mama Bear book, this is what we do in every single chapter is we take, you know, what, what, is, what is the truth and what are the lies that have snuck in? Because mm-hmm. the most powerful lies are ones that are wrapped in partial truths. Yes. Unless it's wrapped in a partial truth, you're not going to have a ton of people swallowing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we want to look at it from that kind of objectivity. So mm-hmm. if, in that sense, what do you think are the good things that are coming from the Me Too movement? What do we need to affirm? Yeah, well, I think we're creating an awareness of a problem. Yeah. That has, I think we've scratched the surface of, you know, <laughs> in the last 50 years. But yeah. I think it's, I think the good that's coming out of the current movement is that we're realizing how much discrimination, harassment, assault, and even rape is taking place. Yeah. So number one, just an awareness. Yeah. I think that men maybe are even starting to realize how, maybe sometimes their words or their conduct is has more of a devastating impact than they realize yeah on, on women the the victim impact statements uh i think for especially for say like the larry nasser case that just wrapped up a couple months ago so in listening to those victim impact statements I, I i really think there's a lot of guys out there who really don't understand how just um being sexually violated cuts to the core of who a woman is and it will have effects on her for the rest of her life. I just, I don't, I think some guys just don't get that. And I think we're finally starting to see it. It's almost like they've been whispering it for generations and they're finally able to shout it. And that's, that's, that is one of the good things is I think uh, there's women out there who have been victimized and have remained silent about it because they didn't feel like they felt like if they did try to say something, nobody would listen. Yeah. And for the first time in since I've been around, I feel like everybody's willing to listen. Yeah. Which is itself a good thing, but can also be a bad thing because all of a sudden, oh, now everybody's listening. I, I want to say something, mm-hmm. you know, for people who maybe don't even have their own story. They see this as an opportunity, which... 
And sadly, I do know that there are those cases, Hillary. Mm-hmm. I, 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 know, I personally know of some cases that were um, women made accusations and later it was discovered they were mistaken or lied worse. Yeah. But I, one thing I think we need to be careful of, Hillary, is this growing tendency that I see happening as a result of the Me Too movement where if uh, a woman comes forward with a story that we automatically assume it's true and yeah. assume the worst about the person that's been accused. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying don't believe them. Yeah. I, this is where I think we have to be careful that mm-hmm. we're able to parse this out. Yeah. We can withhold judgment, and that doesn't mean I don't believe one person or another. Yeah. It's just I can withhold judgment because... Until all the facts are in. That's what I do as a lawyer in trials. Mm-hmm. I tell the jury, you're going to be hearing information. Now wait to withhold you withhold your judgment until you've heard all the evidence, to mm-hmm. hear all the stories that come in. Yeah. One of the things that comes to my mind is found in the scripture. It's um, in the Proverbs, Proverbs 18... 17 says the first one to present his or her case seems right until another one comes forward to question him. <laughs> so I think there's just, there's just wisdom in making sure that we hear all sides of the story. Yeah. You know, when my daughter was growing up, um, she probably had a rough time because she had mom and dad in two different households. And yeah. We had two different very world views mm-hmm. and um, different you know political views as well. But one thing that we both did is challenge her that on every idea or issue she was wrestling with, to look at all aspects. Yeah. To weigh, hear all the arguments, weigh all the arguments before you make a decision. Yeah. And that's what I want to try to tell people when it comes to these, the Me Too stories Mm -hmm. is it's okay to listen to everybody's story before you make a decision on you know, who you believe or who you believe more, or maybe you just can't make it up your mind. You're yeah. like, I don't really know. Yeah. Well, in some ways it's like, uh, we, we really have made the court of public opinion to be higher than the Supreme Court that we, we really have just all of social media that is convicting or, you know, convicting some people or letting other people off. And just this idea, I think people do need to feel like they have permission to withhold judgment because especially when, I don't know when certain when certain things were going on, it, silence was treated as if it was uh, agreeing with whoever the oppressor was. Like unless you speak out against it, then you're silently agreeing. And you know what? That's just that's just a trap. You don't have to speak out against every single thing. If if that's if that were true, we would have to be speaking out about you know just all day long, be on Twitter and Facebook, just <laughs> saying all the things that we condemn because there really is that many that there is that much stuff out there. And so I kind of want to give the ladies permission, you know what, you don't have to always speak out if you want to wait and listen to the evidence. And I encourage you to wait and listen for the evidence. Mm-hmm. Don't let your emotions be leading you on things as important as this. Yeah. Oh, it's, we do not want to mm-hmm. rush to judgment. Yeah. You know, the scripture talks about how we judge others, we will be judged. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be very careful. It doesn't mean we don't judge. That's yeah. that's absolutely not biblical when people yeah. say, you're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge. Well, no. You're, you're supposed to judge rightly. It, that's right. Right, and just remember the measure that you yeah. give judgment, you know, can come back to you. So that's why you want to do it 
wisely. Yeah. You know, be judging wisely. And I think that's also why people who maybe have the kind of gnarliest stories and the gnarliest history, they can sometimes be the most compassionate because they really are aware of how much they've been forgiven mm-hmm. and they are willing to extend that forgiveness to other people. Mm-hmm. Um so one of the things that you and I were saying that is actually a danger with the Me Too movement is the fact that it is exploiting real situations by everybody suddenly wanting to get on this bandwagon. It's like, I, like for the whole thing with Garrison Keillor, I don't know exactly what happened. From what I can tell from the stories, a woman had a backless dress on, asked to take a picture with him. He put his hand on her back to pose for the picture. And now, uh, however many years later, they're calling that assault. That is really disrespectful to, I don't don't want to just say women, but people who have actually been assaulted. It's like they're using these buzzwords to try to uh, stir up people's emotions, but they're not even accurate. I mean, it was, I I don't know, maybe he slid his hand down lower than he should have. I have no idea. It's Garrison Keillor. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy, but then again, neither did Bill Cosby. But anyway... It's exploiting actual situations. It's kind of like, it's the boy who cried wolf. If you have too many Mm -hmm. things that we're all going to wrap into this umbrella of assault, then it makes the actual assaults actually lose their their weight. Yeah. I think we also are moving into an age of hypersensitivity because of that as well. Yeah. That what I, what I, I personally have observed is some women overreacting to maybe a comment that a, a guy made that... I thought, no, he wasn't meaning it that way, but they took they, they took it that way. Yeah. And so therefore, you know, we create our own reality then mm-hmm. when we just hang on to our own perceptions. Yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't know how to make, make sense of what I'm observing, this heightened sense of um, emotionalism is what you call it. Mm-hmm. But I had heard that Abdu Murray wrote a book, Saving Truth, mm-hmm. and talking about this post-truth era. And I think that accurately describes what I see happening right now. And, and that is people are preferring their, well, they're making a priority of their feelings and their preferences uh-huh. over the facts. So we, we saw that recently, dare I mention it, will create a firestorm, you know, and your, your media, social media is going to blow up yeah. at the recent Kavanaugh hearings, yeah. right? So if we want to get to the facts before we make any judgment, that's very different than just immediately coming to conclusions and kind of just trying it in the press. And I thought it was interesting how most of the conversations weren't going on what they were saying. They were going on how they said it. So they were saying who seemed more believable, who seemed, I'm trying to remember the, the buzzword that was being used, credible, who, who looked like they had the most credibility. And so it's basically whoever felt the most credible. I mean, isn't this also how the Oscars are judged? <laughs> like, <laughs> here's the difficult thing if we, we can just touch on this particular issue mm-hmm. is you have an, an incident where it, it's, well, th- this one is a little bit different, but normally in a case of assault or rape, mm-hmm. there, are, there aren't, aren't any witnesses yeah. in the room. Yeah. Although here, actually, I, I think that there was a claim that there you know, were witnesses. Yeah. But... What makes it difficult is when there aren't witnesses to an actual event. But that doesn't mean that there aren't witnesses to events proceeding. Yeah. Rape Um, is one of those things that usually it's just two people. And mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a, the the literal he said, she said kind of situation. That's one of the things that makes it so difficult. And unfortunately, 
credibility is still an issue. Yeah. You know, we, we do still, in a court of law, look at witnesses, parties are witnesses, we mm-hmm. look at anybody who's testifying, and we look at their motives for testifying and, mm-hmm. and if they're credible witnesses. And I wish we didn't have to do that with people who are victimized, but unfortunately, we have people who have made up stories yeah. or have misunderstood and identified incorrectly their assaulters or their rapists and so we have to be we do have to still be wise about this that's one thing that i didn't hear anyone talk about because everybody kept saying well i don't want to make this all about kavanaugh but it it was like this either she's telling the truth or she's lying and those were the only two options and nobody left open that third option of she really thinks she's telling the truth but she might be mistaken and i'm not saying that she was i'm not passing judgment on this but we do have those situations where i mean especially an event that takes place either like in the dark or a long time ago where someone can mistake what what happened and they do so with the the best of intentions and with a clear conscience mm-hmm. um but again that's where we have to go back to the evidence where what does the evidence show but this is what i want to see you and i are having a rational conversation about mm-hmm. this and i have had a couple of rational conversations with people on this issue with people who view this differently than I do mm-hmm. all too often though I don't think I think we're losing the ability to have civil disagreements yeah. about difficult topics yeah. and I would love for us to restore some civility in the way we even disagree and that we have mm-hmm. conversations about the things that we disagree about yeah. instead of devol- devolving to the ad hominem yeah. attacks, um, it just running to our hasty generalizations, we just start committing all kinds of logical fallacies. <laughs> yeah, and I would say that we, we address this actually in the emotionalism chapter in the Mama Bear book also. Emotions have become the arbiters of truth, and the weight of your emotion is actually supposed to tell you how true something is. So if someone was wanting to almost argue their case, instead of presenting more and more arguments, they present more and more emotion. More and if, more feelings. And if they can elicit that kind of emotion from someone else, then that's um, not corroborating, but that's, what's the word? Where like mirroring? It's confirming. Yeah. It's confirming the truthfulness of this. And so then they can say, okay, this is right. Mm-hmm. Because look, they, they're just as angry as I am. Mm-hmm. And so that's what uh, Rebecca and I uh, would call the going into all caps mode. That's the uh, that's the online version of, of yelling is when you start going into all caps, supposedly that means, no, I really, really mean this. It's like That's a, right. I have, I have really intense emotions that's and right. feelings about this. Therefore, I, I, my, the way I think it, about yeah. this must be true. It must be true. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. this cyber yelling. It's the mm-hmm. all caps and however many exclamation points you use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this, this idea of post-truth really is what we have going on right now where um, people have lost the ability to objectively analyze things. And I think that's why we are seeing such a decline mm-hmm. in, in people being able to rationally talk about this. So let's let's bring this back to the moms that are out there that are probably having to deal with this with their children, their children seeing this kind of discourse taking place. If you watch any of the political shows, it sometimes devolves into who can talk over the other person. It's like adults aren't even the role models anymore. So how would you address this Me Too movement of parents, especially uh, with girls versus with boys? Well, I I see this a a small aspect of the Me Too movement really in 
that the schools and with young children that's we see it with bullying mm, yeah um and bullying is is a real problem so i think anytime you see any sort of injustice taking place i mean as parents we see that happening with our kids in the school right you see a kid picked on you uh, kids ganging up on other kids making fun of other kids yeah it's really a great learning opportunity to teach our kids, number one, compassion. Mm-hmm. Not just for the person that's getting picked on, but even how to have compassion for the one that's doing the bullying. Because yeah. I hate to say this, but many times the bulliers were bullied. Yeah. And they're just perpetuating something that was done to them. Yeah. I don't think they're conscious of it. That's what you see a lot of times, especially in cases of... Um, uh, child sexual abuse is usually the people that are the perpetrators of child sexual abu- abuse were themselves victims of child sexual abuse. And let me reiterate, because I have to, Yeah, that does not mean we're excusing no. the bullying behavior no. or any kind of wrongdoing at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not excusing it. But I think we need to approach this a little bit more compassionately that we are all people. We're all, we all are made in the image of God, even wrongdoers, you know, look at the, one of the greatest apostles, Paul. Yeah. He was. That was like more than Saul. a boy. He was, a, <laughs> he, he was another, a very different character right yeah. before Christ got a hold of him. Yeah. So we all have that potential to mm-hmm. have a radical born again yeah. experience. And so I want to be able to look at even those wrongdoers as a person who potentially God could turn around and save as well. Yeah. And just also recognizing that a lot of times we're bullied in one area, but we're the bullies in the other. So it's like we've kind of got both of those inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the kids. Yeah. So I would say we, as parents, want to teach our kids how to be compassionate toward mm-hmm. all people. Yeah. And that everybody's made in the image of God. And how they can be a voice of reason mm-hmm. in the chaos taking place with their students. Yeah. To know when to take a stand for truth and righteousness and how to do it winsomely. Yeah. We need more young people like that. <laughs> we really do. In fact, uh, John had this um, talk that he gave a couple years ago at a high school apologetics conference that was titled arguing for the sake of arguing and it's kind of like a double entendre just in the sense that he was arguing for having better arguments and now most time most parents will hear no way am I teaching my kids to argue well that's probably the arguing that you're thinking in your head is the wrong type just arguing for is presenting reasons and presenting um, evidence for a particular belief and that's making an argument for something and being able to do it without having to get the emotions so involved. Yes. Uh, we have lost that in our culture, and I think that we've kind of given our culture over, again, to the emotionalism that's spinning out of control. And nobody's learning how to have self-control, and really a lack of self-control, that's, I mean, honestly, that's going to be part of the foundation of the Me Too movement is someone who didn't have self-control, either over their own hands or over their words. And here's what I'm afraid of, is that we have... People who are out of control and they are engaging in wrongdoing, Mm -hmm. right? All kinds of wrongdoing, whether it's discriminating, harassing, attacking, assaulting, raping, whatever. We have wrongdoing that is happening. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also have people who are responding to the wrongdoing wrongly. Does that make sense? (laughs) My mom used to say as I was a kid growing up, she would tell my sisters and me when we would be fighting because we'd say, but she did this or she did this. And my mom would say, two wrongs do not make a right. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, as, as myself speaking as a survivor of, you know, my own Me Too stories, I don't want to be responding wrongly to something, to a wrong that was committed against me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's what I want to encourage women or men who mm-hmm. have been victimized yeah. is not two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. And so we still, if we're called as Christians to love our enemies, that means we love them. Yeah. Loving is not something you feel. So this is, kind of gets back to thinking and making choices regardless of your feelings. And like you said, feelings are not a bad thing. But we have to take our thoughts captive and make mm-hmm. them obedient to Christ and examine them. Are they true? Are they good? Are they are they helpful? I mean, because you can have righteous anger, yeah, right. But most of the time, we get we get angry just because our feelings are hurt, or we get defensive, or um, things are unfair, and we just get angry. Yeah. Well, there's a couple uh, verses that I want to kind of end with that'll, that'll point out both sides of the, I guess, both sides of the issue that we're trying to get to here. Okay, it's Proverbs twenty one fifteen that says, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. So this is would be, I would say, a pro position for speaking up when when you have been victimized, because there is something that when when justice is done, that prevents for uh, future injustice by people that are watching what is happening. When they when they see that this is being brought to light. It is going to make some uh, people think twice about what they were doing. And there's something good to that, that there is something good about someone having to actually face the consequences of their actions. And in fact, that there's, there's, no, there's no competition between forgiving someone and having them face the consequences of their actions, especially in a legal sense. It's mm-hmm. not like to say, I forgive you, therefore I'm not prosecuting. You can forgive and you can prosecute. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's on one side, but the other side would be from uh, Hebrews ten thirty and Romans twelve nineteen. In fact, there's a whole bunch of verses in Scripture that talk about us taking revenge our, ourselves instead of allowing the Lord to take His revenge. Mm-hmm. And so there is a way for us to try to enact revenge or to to get get our little peace ourselves and not allowing it to be done by the Lord. And that doesn't mean that we don't take this to the authorities. But it does mean that we are not judge and jury to condemn this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we this America was founded on innocent until proven guilty. So anyway, those are those were just the two main things I wanted to leave off with. Just the idea of it is good and righteous to speak up um, because in doing so, when justice is served, it actually deters evildoers from continuing. But at the same time, we are not to take revenge into our own hands. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you so much, Lori, for talking with me about this. I want to pray, but I don't know if we want to. Okay, she's. Would you like to pray? Um, pray over our listeners. Sure, that'd be great. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to these listeners about these very, very difficult subjects. Lord, I pray right now for those that are listening that have been victimized in any way, whether yeah. it's a victim of. Uh, discrimination, oppression, harassment, um, attacks, assault, rape, Lord, I pray right now that you would bring them a peace that only you can give. Lord, I pray that you would fill their heart with a, 
um, a forgiveness that releases them from holding their oppressor from having any more power over them. Lord, that by them forgiving, they are set free as well. Lord, I pray for those that are listening who might be even convicted of their own wrongdoing. Lord, maybe their eyes are opening to how they have treated some people less than the Imago Dei that we are. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be compassionate with one another, that every single person is created in your image and has value and dignity. Lord, I pray that even as we discuss these different hot issues, personal issues, emotional issues, that we will learn how to even have civil disagreements, Lord. Help us to filter our emotions through the lens of your truth. Lord, we want to speak your truth in a way that loves and builds up others. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray that this truth would bear much fruit, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.